Welcome to Play, Learn, Teach. We bring early childhood educators together to ask questions about raising children in these challenging times. This episode has been sponsored by OLA. Our Certificate 3 and Diploma courses teach early childhood through the head, heart and hand. If you want to sing, dance and craft every day, talk to us about careers in early childhood education. Welcome everybody to today's episode of the Play, Learn, Teach podcast. For those of you that are tuning in on Spotify or Apple, uh, please come and visit us at igniteminds.com.au slash podcasts where you'll find additional links and resources. Today we wanted to talk about um, how do we create an integrated environment for children through this very fractured and changing time. But before we get to that, um, as many of you are aware, we've had um, quite a remarkable week here in the early childhood space. Um, The government announced that they were going to be providing a stimulus to the sector and uh, providing free childcare to families, but in doing so, they cut 50% of the funding. So we'll spend a few minutes just at the beginning, talking about some of the questions that we've had to deal with as we've faced this challenging time, and then we'll jump right into this episode on how do we create an integrated environment for children through this very fractured and changing time. Today I'm here with Carol Lichnitsky, who is our education leader at Ignite Minds Family Daycare. Today we wanted to explore a topic on how do we create integrated environment for children through this very fractured and changing time. But just before we get there, I just wanted to give everybody out there, all you educators and all you parents, a really big thank you. I thank you for everything that you're doing. I, I thank you for questioning your value in this time. We, we see you, we know what you're doing, we know how difficult this job is, we know how hard you work. Uh, We know how every decision you make is tormented with self-doubt. We thank you for asking these questions and for putting yourself out there and for putting other people first. We know that sometimes this cultural narrative of an early child education can flip between super mum on the one hand and the invisible housewife on the other. Throughout this, um, we thank you. Hang on to your humanity and keep doing the great things that you're doing. Great. Well, it's really lovely to be with you. I must say uh, it's very comforting to talk about things that you care about in this time. So I'm, I'm very interested in what you've had to deal with in the last few days with all these changes for early childhood. And I'm going to just ask you three of the worst questions that you could have been asked in this process. Um, one, of, one of the questions is, um, some people would think it's a good thing that dodgy family daycare services are now forced to close. Carol, I have had that question asked of me in the last few days, and it has been quite challenging. But just before I answer that, I just want to bring you in on some of the things that I've learned. You know, since mm-hmm. um, this announcement last week, I've been through days of rage, and then I've been motivated by anger, and then I've been, you know, and I think I've burnt bridges. I've really, I've challenged people, I've asked lots of questions, and and my main lesson, the thing that I've learnt, and that's been my hardest lesson, is that this environment is calling for a different type of leadership. I've had to suppress my inner Trump, my, my <laughs> desire to 
push out there and, and ask questions which are divisive because this is a really complex um, conversation that we need to have and people are smart, people understand that. So I'm trying to summon my inner Ardern as much as I can and to try and bring people along for the ride. So in answering your question, dodgy family daycare is, is old news. You know, um, it wasn't a question of um, dodgy family daycare. It was a problem with a lack of regulation, maybe regulation. Yeah, so it wasn't a an issue of dodgy family daycare. It was a problem with a lack of regulation. So the uh, Department of Education was really letting the sector down. Um, in the last three years, they've closed nearly a third of all family daycare providers, and the ones that are out there now are doing a fantastic job. Yeah. That's definitely what I experience as, as a leader, is traveling to all these various places and seeing what people are doing. It's, it really is, um, I'm in awe of people and how they manage. Um, so another question I thought uh, I've heard people ask, why are you not discounting your educator levy, considering everyone else is taking a hit? So we're all in the same boat, we're all losing jobs left, right and center. Um, why are you not discounting your educator levy? That's a really good question and it's a really important question for us all to understand. You know, currently as it sits, um, the Education and Training Ref uh, Care Act and the national laws are delegate certain responsibilities to a service provider like Ignite Minds and then they delegate certain responsibilities to educators and they actually define in law uh, a monetary value for non-compliances. So there are fines associated with not doing certain elements. Um, we run a very lean team here at Ignite Minds. We've only got a handful of staff and each one of those staff members is responsible for one part of the law and you know if the government is really wanting us to discount our levy they need to be asking themselves well which part of the education and care law is no longer relevant because ultimately uh, if if we have to reduce our levy and reduce our staff numbers uh, we aren't going to be in a position to provide support um, compliance and education leadership yeah and in a way you're undermining the regulatory um uh, stepped up um, activities that have actually filtered out the people who aren't really offering a good service. So uh, as far as I understand it, as the legal entity, you are responsible for seeing that these regulations are met. Now, the other thing is um, this rule that's coming in, I don't know if I can call it a law yet, can I? This is aimed to provide continuity during shutdown level four. Don't you think some income is better than no income? Yes. That, that question has been really hard for me to stomach, I have mm. to say. Um, mm. I think there's a lot of people out there which are like, well, you know, everybody's losing their job, so why should educators feel any differently about this? You know, the fact is, educators are working hard and they are stepping up in this crisis and they are working with high occupancy rates, particularly in family daycare, because more and more families are turning to family daycare. So it's been really hard for me to stomach and to be <laughs> compassionate and to uh, not be Trump and say, you're wrong, but to actually acknowledge, well, look, this is this is a, a concern, and it comes from a place of of um, deep uh, fear and and um, stress mm. yeah, with with families that are losing their jobs. So um, the fact is, educators are working hard. This system wasn't broken. It's now been broken by government. You know, uh, where where people can earn an income and where families 
uh, have the capacity to pay, and that system should continue. This episode has been sponsored by dragonflytoys.com.au. Play experiences that are beautiful, enchanting, strong and safe, environmentally friendly and fairly traded. Just um, listening to you now, uh, I'd really love to hear what your take uh, is on what is different about family daycare. We've got early childhood centres and sites and institutions that are taking a hit as well, very badly now. But family daycare is a different kind of animal. And I'd love you to say, what is different about that? Well, I think there's two parts to that question. The first part is, you know, uh, what's different from an educational context. And, you know, uh, family daycare is so unique in that regard because, you know, you're at home with four kids and you can be truly interest-based. You know, uh, for every two-year-old that's obsessed with dinosaurs, you know, if it wasn't for COVID-19, you could uh, go on excursions down to the creek and explore the massive flora and fauna. Or you could go to the museum and, and see the large-scale models. You know, so it can be truly interest-based. And that's what's so unique about family daycare is that educators are taking their children uh, on community excursions. They're involved with the local libraries. They go to the toy library. They go to the park. So they're very engaged. Obviously, mm -hmm. we're in a slightly different environment at the moment. I think the second part of your question is, well, what's so different about it financially? And I think that's what has been forgotten with these changes, you know. So the last published quarter, uh, the federal government spent $1.2 billion on uh, educating just over 1.1 million children. Family daycare makes up around 8% of that. So it's a very small proportion nationally. There's about 117,000 children enrolled in family daycare, educated by roughly 15,000 educators. So when you're looking at a, an educator and you're costing it like a centre and you're thinking, well, there's, there's four kids involved uh, each day, when you take 60% of that income out, there's no economies of scale. You know, it's not like, and look, I'm reluctant because I, I don't run a childcare centre, so I don't want to speak for them, but I think some of the government thinking behind this was, well, you know, if you're running a childcare centre and you've got 150 children and you've seen a 50% drop in, in occupancy rates because a lot of families don't want to um, interact and mingle with 150 other children then you know this kind of relief package would enable you to keep the lights on and pay your rent yes. and pay minimum wage to your educators just so you can essentially nurture yourself through this yes yeah well that totally makes sense and I mean I I think I would love to ask you what should the federal government do to amend this bill? What should change? I mean, having been at the coalface for many years now, you have a, a strong insight as to what needs to happen to make this work. What would you suggest? There's really five key points from an educator's perspective. And it starts with, you know, they can't provide service for a maximum of $5.55 per hour. Like that cap is just beyond insulting. It just doesn't work. Um, they need to be paid for additional enrolments outside the reference period. You know, when you've got um, more and more families coming across to family daycare, you know, you need to know that they're going to be paid. You're going to be paid for them. Um, at this point in time, 
government is saying, well, look, you know, uh, you're you're just going to keep your doors open, and you need to accept people based on on whether or not they're essential workers. So there's a bit of a priority there. So we also need to make sure that educators are paid up to the maximum cap, which is currently eleven dollars ten. You know, not five dollars fifty-five, yes. and. Um, Educators need to have guaranteed access to the JobKeeper payment um, should the income below, fall below 30%. Because currently, uh, government is saying they sh that uh, family daycare educators can access the JobKeeper payment, but most of them being sole traders, and many of them working less than 12 months, aren't mm -hmm. guaranteed to be eligible for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, service providers must have additional continuity funds to cover administration, compliance, and education leadership. and you know, families' contributions must remain means-tested. Where families have the means to pay for care, they should pay for it. Yeah, and I've heard uh, on the grapevine, so many families want to do that. They want to actually pay a gap. They want to keep their family daycare places open and they want to keep the educators in, in business, in life, because it's a tremendous support for them. Uh, plus the fact that family daycare, they often offer late uh, care, very early care. They're very flexible because they're only with dealing with four children at a time. So it, it gives the flexibility to people who are working at the, at the coalface now and working very odd hours. I wish uh, you were the minister for this um, education. I wouldn't situation. wish that on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were going to be there, I would be behind you. Um, thanks, Uj. Uh, I hope that that's uh, brought some clarity as to how people can also think about these things and just realize that it's not a one, it's not just a one size fits all. And as I read in the paper today in the age, it's a blunt instrument that's been used and it says to me there hasn't been proper consultation with the whole sector. And that's needed to make proper decisions. So I was thinking about what do we do? <laughs> what do we do with our children through this very fractured and changing time? And um, can I share with you what I've been doing over the last few days as a one very integrated option? Yes, please. I've been watching your videos surfacing and um, <laughs> some of the edits that erin has been doing in the background, and I'm so excited. It's been um, a real strength, and it certainly helped me with my family. So please tell us, yes, how have so, you come to this? <laughs> how have I come to it? Um, I think one day I went for a walk and I became very aware of moss, the tiny little bits of moss. I mean, I'm kind of looking for signs in the world that say, in, in, uh, in spite of all the concrete that's laid down over the ground, there are these little tender shoots that just push their way through, which is the kind of resilience that I'm looking for in myself and in the children around me and the adults. How do we maintain our resilience and our enthusiasm for life? And I thought, I just got the idea, hey, um, I've never done this yet. Let me make a fairy garden and film it as I go. Uh, let me use the smallest things that we can find out in nature, like little bits of moss growing on the pavement or wherever. And so that's how it started. I got a cardboard box and I started building my so-called fairy garden. <clears throat> Every day for the last week, I have been finding more things to add. I even had a uh, tape uh, dispenser and the a tape had run out and I used that as a little water wheel 
So whatever I'm finding, little gum nuts, little um, acorn caps, uh, beautiful bits of shiny things even. So I'm creating this fairy garden and what it's doing, it's connecting me with the earth. It's, it's helping me observe very fine detail, which is really bringing my focus in. I can't even think about the issues that government are dealing with now when I'm looking for moss, um, takes all my energy. And then I'm making these very tiny things that carry my dreams and my longings for a place of magic. And I'm sharing it with my grandchildren over um, WhatsApp and all kinds of things. And uh, as you know, building this uh, YouTube video that I will share. And everybody's excited about it. Everyone's finding boxes and they're starting to build their own world. And now I'm at the stage of making little figures and animals out of clay and making little fairies and magical butterflies out of beeswax. So it's going on and on. And I could imagine right through the Easter that I will also be putting little Easter eggs in my fairy garden. I will be having um, hares and rabbits and little mice all over my garden. And for me as an adult, it's been tremendously therapeutic. And for the children that are getting involved now, I can just see what kind of magic is happening for them. So this is a place where you are in control of your world. So I think a very big thing that's happening now for people is feeling disempowered. And this disempowered feeling, uh, the children pick up and start to feel a little bit empty and a little bit forsaken in a way. So I think that this is an example of something that we can do that can start changing our reality. Um, it's beautiful, yeah, because yeah, it, it has. It's changed my reality in in so many ways because... You know, with all of this high pressure and uh, emotional uh, noise that's happening out there, and it's very real. You know, we're all thinking about our our, our very survival right now. How are we going to pay our bills? Um, but to be able to um, construct something that is creative, um, that completely absorbs your mind and, and your hands as well. You know, to be able yeah. to to play with the real environment and to see the delight that that brings to children. It is a real opportunity to build this this alternative reality together, but um, it's such a calming thing to do and a way to become centered again. Yeah, absolutely. So this is all absorbing for me. And uh, yes, I read The Age, I read the newspaper, I get very angry, <laughs> and I get very frustrated and I'm shocked and horrified at what the implications are for the future. And then I'm out collecting some moss and uh, my breathing changes. I feel more at peace and I feel ready to take on the world again. Yes. So uh, I hope that we can all find some kind of solace in these kinds of activities. And maybe this Easter time, you know, even if you look at it symbolically or metaphorically, it's a time for kind of cleaning and clearing and I suppose dying to an old an old way of life that we had and um, this place for resurrection or place for transformation or rising up like a little plant through the concrete. So much of what you talk about, Carol, is um, you know integrating the environment. But I, I, I really hearing what you're saying is actually you're integrating your mind too. You're integrating your heart and your head and your hand, um, and you're you're thinking about well, it's not so much about the fractured environment, but it's more about this unified environment because 
Nothing yes. much has actually changed out there and we've, we've really got to tap into that and remind ourselves that, that there is this great strength that we can draw from. Yeah, uh, lovely. It's the bigger picture, really. Uh, yes. Much bigger than us and, uh, you know, as big as the whole world and the cosmos and the stars. If you just look at the stars, you get a sense of awe at how enormous and wise things are despite the way we frail human beings mess up. <laughs> yes. Well, the, the environment is so important for play and, yes. you know, there's, there's so many different ways of thinking about play and playing for adults or playing for children or, or parallel play where you've got adults playing beside children or children playing beside children. And I think one of the most profound ways to think about play is when an adult and a child enters into this moment where they have prolonged and sustained shared thinking, where they truly understand each other and what they're doing and where, you know, the play doesn't necessarily have an outcome or a purpose. You know, the, the play itself is what's important, you know, so it's not like there's there's a goal and and this idea of a fairy garden is, is just um, really sums that up because you can... You can start with a cardboard box or you could start with, with, with a bucket. It doesn't really matter where you end up. Um, you can be um, poking away under the stairs at the back of the house. Um, yes. There's so many different places for this play to take place. Yes, absolutely. Wonderful um, idea of using imagination and play and the earth to create an integrated experience for all of us. This episode has been sponsored by Ignite Minds. We teach play-based learning from within our nourishing homes under the family daycare umbrella. Inspired educators join our team. This podcast was produced by The Jones Collective, thejoneskollective.com.au. Chat to us today about your podcast.